Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. As always, we're thankful for your presence and thankful to our God for another opportunity to be together, glorify his name and study and praise him and to fellowship one with another. If you have your Bibles and you'd be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 10, and 11 is where we'll be this morning. And uh, we'll continue our thoughts about being different, becoming new, sanctification, however you'd like to say it. The Apostle Paul says in chapter 11 of this book, in verse number 1, imitate me as I follow Christ. Be ye imitators of me uh, as he follows Christ. And that's really what we want to talk about this morning, imitating Paul. Paul was a changed man. He was formerly Saul the persecutor. He became Paul the apostle. He was a Pharisee. He became a Christian. He was one who opposed Christ, and ultimately he preached and died for the Lord. Paul understood his freedom in Christ, and that's what he talked about quite often. He understood his need to serve Christ by serving other people, and he talks about that. He will say that he served Christ with his heart or with his spirit, not with works. Liberty and the privilege and responsibilities associated with that is what he's talking about in chapters 8, 9, and 10. And in chapter 11, he encourages the saints to follow him as he follows Christ. When we're talking about change and becoming different and growing and maturing, that's really at the heart of it is this freedom in Christ, freedom because of what Jesus has done for us, freedom because of truth, freedom because of self-discipline, and that allows freedom to serve. Paul was under attack, and that's really what he's talking about. He's under attack by the Judaizers, these individuals who had given their lives to, to the Jewish religion. And unfortunately, the corruption of that religion through their traditions and their teachings, those are the ones very often competing and combating Jesus in the gospel accounts, talking about the traditions of the elders, the washing of hands and other things. Their approach to God through that system of works and law is what our Lord is correcting, and it's what Paul is correcting. Some of those people became Christians. They obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They came into the church, and they're attempting to do in the church what they had done to the law of Moses. And they want to corrupt the church from the inside out and turn her into the same system of thought and operation as they had done to the Lord. Now, the apostle Paul, on the other hand, is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus has set us free. And then in this liberty, we are free to serve the Lord with our spirit and with faith. And they hear in Paul him saying that it doesn't matter what you do and that you're free to sin and live any way you want to and nothing that you do matters. Notice Romans chapter 3 and verse number 8 as Paul says what they are doing to his teaching. In chapter 3 of Romans, in verse number 8, as the Apostle Paul talks about, and he will at length talk about grace and other faith and justification in the book of Romans, when they hear it, Paul says, and, and not rather as we be slanderously reported, 
And as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. Paul says that's what they're saying that we're saying. That the gospel he preaches, they're saying that Paul is out here telling people just do evil and, and good will come from it. It doesn't matter what you do. So they're attacking his doctrine and his teaching, but they also attack him personally. Look at 2 Corinthians 10 and verse number 10. In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse number 10, they talk about Paul, but this time not his teaching, but him personally. In verse number 10, they say, for his letters, they say, are, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. So insofar as Paul is concerned, they are saying, well, he, he writes these great letters and they really carry a lot of weight. He really sounds forceful in the letters, but he's not much to look at and he's not much to listen to. And so they are attacking. Now, these people are actually in the church. Everywhere Paul goes and preaches the gospel, they come in behind and they talk about Paul and put him down and talk about his past and talk about what he's doing. And Paul addresses that in these chapters, and it has bearing on us. As when we make application, you'll see people can do the same things to us, and so we need to imitate Paul. How did he resolve it? How did he deal with it? The first thing that Paul does here in chapter 9 is Paul proclaimed the truth. He just taught the truth about himself. He was under this attack. They attacked his apostleship. They attacked his right to be paid. They attacked him being single. Paul just defended himself. He defended it with truth. Notice chapter 9 and verse number 1. He begins there by noting three or four things very quickly. He says to the brethren there who are wrestling with whether or not to continue to believe Paul or to go and follow after these Judaizing teachers. Paul says, number one, am I not free? Number two, am I not an apostle? Number three, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Number four, are you not my work in the Lord? Those four things are true about the apostle Paul, and he simply defended them. I'm free. I'm an apostle. I saw Jesus resurrected. In fact, that's one of the ways you became an apostle, was to see the resurrected Christ. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 9, when our Lord appears to Paul in Acts 26, it's recorded, he appeared for this reason, to make him a witness. If you're going to be an apostle of the Lord, you needed to have seen the resurrected Christ. But Paul says in verse number 2, insofar as the Corinthians are concerned, if, I'm to, if to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. Because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Of all the people who ought to know that I'm an apostle, you should. Now, why is that? He says, you're my seal. Acts chapter 18, the first 10 verses, Paul went to Corinth, and he preached them the gospel. And verse number 8 of Acts 18 says, many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Who taught them the gospel? The apostle Paul did. But more than that, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says they have gifts. All of you have gifts. How did they get the gifts? How did they get miraculous gifts? You needed an apostle to pass them on. You needed an apostle to lay hands on you. And the Corinthians have gifts. It's because an apostle was there. Well, who was the apostle? Paul was. The very fact that you're in the gospel, one, the very fact that you have these gifts, you are my seal as an apostle. If no one else should know it, you should know it. And if I'm not to anybody else, then I should be to you. 
Paul continues his defense by stating simply more truths. On this occasion, Paul says, listen, one of the things they attack mostly, it appears, is he doesn't take any money. He preaches the gospel for free, and as a result of that, then they come in and say he can see then he's not worthy to be an apostle. The other apostles get supported for their work, but not him. He's clearly not worthy of it, and he knows it. And so Paul defends that right as well. He defends the right to be married. He defends the right to eat, eat anything that he would, his diet desired. He defends the right to be paid. Beginning in verse number 7, he uses three examples of that process. One, a soldier. Two, a farmer. Three, a shepherd. And he says each one of these gets supported by the thing in question. Notice verse number 7. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? No person would do that. The state, the government would support the soldiers and the army. They would pay for his, his service. Number two, he says, who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of the vineyard? Where would he get his support? Well, from the vineyard itself. It would support his diet. It would support his health. It would support him. He would get it from the vineyard. Number three, he says, who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? You see, the flock would provide for the shepherd. That's the way it works. He says, God has designed it this way. Notice verses 8 down to verse number 10. I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Does not the law of Moses say the same? The law says these same things. For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it's threshing. Why not muzzle it so that it can eat as it works? Don't muzzle it to keep it from eating. It's going to thresh for you, allow it to eat of its labor. That's the point. He says, God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it is written. Now, why is it written, he says? Because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher in hope of sharing the crops. His point begins to be set forth in earnest, verses 11 down to verse number 14. And here is the point, verse number 11, with regards to his right to be paid. If we sold spiritual things to you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? The same way the soldier supported by the nation, the same way the vineyard supplies the fruit for the dresser, the same farmer, the same way the, the, the milk is provided by the flock, the same way the oxen is allowed to thresh in hope so that it can partake. Now we then have sold you spiritual things we then should reap your material things. Now, beginning in verse 12 down to verse number 14, he says that same thing very plainly. If others share the right over you, who would be those others? He says, we do more. Nevertheless, we do not use this right. We endure all things so that we would not cause hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred sacrifices eat the food of the temple, even the priests did the same. And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar. Verse number 14 is the conclusion. Paul says, so also, that is from verse 7 down to this verse, so also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living of the gospel. They're attacking Paul, attacking Paul, attacking Paul. What does he do? He simply defends it with truth. Here's the truth. Here is the facts. But Paul goes a step further, and he defended his rights, but he didn't exercise his rights. 
He had the rights, but he didn't use them. And in verses 15 to 18, he tells us why. In verse number 13 of chapter 8, Paul says, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Does Paul have a right to eat meat? Yes. Will he eat it? No. Not if it offends my brother. Not if it causes him to stumble. Notice chapter 9 and verse 12. If others have this right, that is the right to be paid. If others have the right, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things. Why? So that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do we have the right? Yes. Will we exercise it? No, not if it will hinder the gospel. Verse number 15, he says it again. But I have used none of these things and am not writing these things so that it will be done in my case, for it would be better for me to die than to have any man make, boast, make my boast an empty one. In verse number 18, Paul says, what then is my reward that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? In chapters 8, 9, and 10, Paul is talking about liberties and rights. And on the one hand, he is saying, I have these rights. And they're not taken away because of your wild and fanciful accusations. I have the right. I am an apostle. He knows who he is. But he also says, I didn't exercise him. And the reason I didn't exercise him is I didn't want to hinder the gospel. I didn't want to offend anybody. I wanted to serve others. Number two, Paul simply proclaimed the truth, number one. Number two, Paul partook in the gospel. From verses 19 to 23, Paul is going to talk about why he is doing what he's doing. Why not exercise these rights? Now, he has said three or four times already, don't want to offend, don't want to cause a stumble, lest anybody be hindered. I don't want that to happen. But here then, more in a positive notion, here is the aim, the purpose, the goal behind it. Notice first verse 23. Paul says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. What's the all things in which Paul has in mind? Well, he means that quite literally. Anything it takes for me to do to help somebody come closer to get to know Jesus, I'm willing to do that. Go back to verse number 19 and listen to him enumerate these things. He says, for though I'm free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all men so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I may win Jews. To those who are under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without law to Christ, that I may win those that are without law. You listen to Paul's statements, and what he says is, I'm willing to do anything it takes to help somebody who doesn't know Jesus come to know Jesus. Now, you also hear him put in these caveats with understanding. Yes, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. 
but I'm not one. I'm not practicing Judaism. I'm not doing that. He says, to those that are under the law, I became as if I was under the law. And he does. He takes a vow. He goes into the temple and takes a vow. If it would help somebody come to know Jesus, Paul says, I'm willing to do that. He says, there are people who live without law as if there is no law. He says, to those people, I became as if I was without law. But you hear him quickly say, being not without law to God. You shouldn't hear Paul saying here, I'm willing to do anything, even sin, to win sinners. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, I'm willing to give up God just to be—nope, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying the ends justify the means. If we get somebody saved, we just—no, he keeps telling us, I'm not living without law. I'm, I'm under law to God. I, I'm under the law of Christ. I'm, I'm still following the gospel. However, whatever I can do within that purview, I'm willing to do that. Paul, would you give up liberties to do that? Yes, I could have a right and then not exercise it if it'll help you come closer to the gospel. In fact, he just said that. I have all of these rights, but listen, if my rights would bother you on one occasion, Paul will have Timothy circumcised if it would not offend the Jews. But the moment they made it a matter of faith, he would not circumcise Titus. We're not going to do it as a matter of faith now, but we can do it to not offend anything we can do. Paul says, I'm willing to do that. Why would you do that, Paul? To the weak, verse number 22, I became as weak. Empathy. I I'll do anything. I'll get where you are. I'll sit with you. If you're weak, I'll listen. And by weak, I think what Paul means is, if you'll go back and read again chapter 8, he'll talk about not everybody has the knowledge that the idol is nothing. Notice, in fact, while we're here, notice chapter 8. And look at verse number 8. He says, but food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block for the weak. The weak in question has to do with a person's inability to separate this idol being nothing and their weak conscience relative to that would embolden them one way or the other. Paul says, here's a person who is not weak in that dynamic. They understand, if you go back and read about from verse 5 down, he understands the idol is nothing. I understand that. And therefore, meat offered to idol is nothing. I understand that. But here's a person who thinks the idol is something. At the very least, they call it a god, and uh, these people worship it as such. He said, listen, I, I, I won't take my liberty so I don't offend this weak person in this dynamic. I think that's what's in verse 22. To the weak I became as weak that I may win the weak. I will forego my liberty for my brother if, or for this person if it will help them come to a knowledge of the truth. I've become all things to all men that I may by all means save some. Verse number 22 and verse number 23, Paul's mission is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And anything that can be done, that's what he wants to do. Number three, Paul played to win. Now you'll have to excuse that, um, that expression because I don't really mean it the way that sounds, but he uses the, the games here, the Ithmian games, and, and talks about athletes competing. 
And he talks about it in matters of running, verse 24, competing, verse 25, boxing, verse 26. And, and their boxing was not quite like our boxing. We have a very cleaned up version of boxing, if you will. And their boxing, if someone was subdued and put down, the beating didn't stop until somebody tapped out or died. That, that's, the, that's the boxing here. In these games, it was a matter of absolute submission, and there was no, nothing to stop it. And, and so, Paul talks about boxing, and he uses the words like winners and prize and crown and disqualified to all help us appreciate the effort being set forth in this race, this winning, this effort that's being done. He applies the spiritual and the physical and puts them side by side. Here is an athlete participating in the game, and here's the Apostle Paul participating in the, the race or the life of Jesus Christ. Notice the language in verse 24. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. What should you do then? Paul says, run in such a way that you may win. That's with reference to the Corinthians. And then he shifts back to the participants. He says in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. You can imagine that that would be your crown, your victory. It's the wreath on your head. It's perishable. He says, but we, an imperishable. Verse 26, he says, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way not beating the air. I'm not just going through the motions. It's not shadow boxing with no opponent. Paul says, I run and I'm trying to win and I'm not just fighting the air. I'm doing it with aim. In verse 27, he says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. King James says, bring it under subjection so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be, listen to the language, disqualified. And so he says, run in such a way that you may win. Run with an aim, fight with a purpose, verse 26, and win this imperishable crown. Let's make some application to ourselves then with reference to this imitation of Paul. You and I should do the same things he's doing or he has done. Sometimes when you're making changes in your life and you're making progress and you start to get some traction, sometimes what you'll find is you'll be attacked. What should you do then? You should put down attacks with truth. That's what Paul does. He was once Saul of Tarsus. It's not like the Judaizers didn't have a beginning. They had some material. He was a Pharisee. He did persecute the church. It's not like he didn't, and he never says he didn't. What he says is, I've changed. I'm not Saul of Tarsus anymore. I'm Paul, an apostle. He was attacked, he was abused, and he defended himself with truth. He knew who he was. He knew whose he was, and he knew his rights. And he states them in those first 18 verses. 
He simply chose not to exercise them for the good of others. Here's the key. Sometimes when you change, people try to hold your past against you. You're beginning to make some progress. I'm beginning to see some improvement. And somebody comes along and say, uh-uh, I know we win. And very often people feel like, well, there's nothing I can do about that because it's true. It was true. It's not now. You don't give in to that attack. You state the truth. Yeah, that's what I was. Sometimes they suggest, well, you aren't worthy of being better. I mean, other people can improve. Other people, yeah, Saul can, but you can't. Yeah, Peter can come back, but you can't. Yeah, somebody else can, but you can't. And they try to put it in your mind that somehow everybody else in the world can improve, but not you. Paul will not have it, and neither should you. Some try to convince you that you don't have any rights. I hear Christians, I've heard Christians sometimes say, well, I don't want to be a doormat. I don't know what book you're reading where Christianity is referred to as doormats. It's just not, that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible says. And then you hear Christians say, well, I just thought I should take it. I just thought I was supposed to take it and take it and take it and take it. And Paul says, no, I'm not taking it. Sometimes you're attacked and abused and people just take it. Paul did not. He simply defended himself with truth. He simply defended himself with facts. He simply defended himself with Scripture. Verse number one, Paul asked for a question. Am I not an apostle? Is he or isn't he? He is. Am I not free? Isn't he or isn't he? He is. Have I not seen the resurrected Christ? I did. Those, these are facts, folks. I'm not telling you anything that's not true. You just, Paul will not accept you trying to tell him something that's untrue about him. Not now. You go through the entirety of the section, and he says, listen, the Scriptures say it. That's verse 8, 9, and 10. God didn't say this about animals, did he? Didn't he say this about us? Isn't it written that you should not muzzle the ox? Isn't that true? Now, does God care for oxen, or did he say that for us? He says, no, it's for us. Then he says, if we sold you spiritual things, did he? Yes. The Corinthians were lost estranged from Christ, Paul came and preached the gospel. Did we not so to you spiritual things? Then do we not have a right? Here is a second thought. Not every, not every right you have has to be exercised. But it's also the truth that not exercising a right doesn't mean you don't have it. In verse 12, in verse 15, and verse 18, Paul says, I chose not to exercise the rights. Not everyone, not every right we have needs to be exercised, but it doesn't mean you don't have them. And you need to know that. Paul simply states the truth, and we should do the same. Number two, make the gospel your mission. Very often when you go about trying to change stuff so often it's simply I, I stop this bad thing and that's great what's the good thing you're going to start now it's just here that Christians get confused and sometimes listening to the world you think well now if you're going to stop something start this and then find you a mission find you a purpose and that's fine for the world because here's the kind of thing the world does I'm going to find me a purpose a goal in life okay what is it I'm going to save the planet all right. 
What's your goal? What's your mission? What's your purpose? I'm going to help stop cancer. I'm going to help save the whales. I'm going to help save the, the sand darter. I, I'm going to help all the dogs find homes. I'm going to help. I'm, I'm going to help. Is there anything wrong with any of this? I don't think there's anything wrong with any of this. What's a Christian's purpose and mission? The Apostle Paul says, mine is the gospel. What's the saint's purpose and mission? The gospel. Paul says in verse number 19, and here is the key, though I am free from all men. That's the key to everything else that follows. I understand Christ has made me free, therefore I'm bound to nothing and no one. But it is expressly that freedom that allows me to serve, which is what I'll do. Though I am free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all men. Why, Paul? So that I may win more. What will be our aim and goal and purpose in life? Okay, you've stopped this thing. You've changed this. You've pivoted. You've turned. Now what? Friends, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ right there. Sometimes the reason we struggle on this side is we don't get up with much to do. We don't get up with anywhere to go. We don't get up with any aim. We don't get up with any direction. What if the goal was, what can I do to help somebody else come to Jesus? What if that were the life mission? What if that was the point of my existence? What if that was everything? I, that was, that's what it was for Paul. You can read in Philippians chapter 3, I count everything else but loss, that I may gain Christ that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's my mission. That's the goal. That's the aim. And you hear him say it here. I'm free from all men. That's the key. I got to be free first. I'm free from all men. I'm free from the bondage and works of men, free from the traditions of men, free from somebody else trying to put me in slavery to them. I'm free. And because I'm free, guess who gets my heart? Jesus can have it. I will give my heart to Jesus because I'm free. Paul says, I'm free from all men, and therefore I have made myself slave to all men. Why? So that I may gain the more. That's why you're reading verse 20, 21, 22, 23. To the Jews I became a Jew, that I may gain the Jews. To those under the law, as under the law, that I may gain them that are under the law. To those that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, under the law of Christ, that I may gain them that are without law. He says, to the weak I became—why? That I may gain those that are weak. I've become all things— to all men, that I might by all means save some of them. What will be your life's mission? Paul says, I'm free. That's why I can serve. The reason that people struggle with service is they're not free when they started. Don't let people keep you in bondage. Don't let yourself keep you in bondage. Don't let lies keep you in bondage. Don't let people manipulate you into bondage. Sometimes the same people will try to use your past to keep you in bondage so that they can benefit from your slavery. Sometimes the same people, because if you got free, you'd be free to serve. Well, they wouldn't have any more control over you. Sometimes it's sin trying to keep you in bondage. The reason that service goes wrong is people are kept in bondage by other individuals and other things. 
if you serve while trying to seek to please men, because sometimes that's what our hearts tell us, over there somewhere in the recesses and corners of our mind, there's a little voice that whispers when you get bad treatment, when people harm you, when people try to keep you in bondage, when keep people oppressed. Somewhere in your own mind, there's a little voice that says, you know, given what you've done, you kind of deserve that. You know, given what you used to be, that seems about fair. You should accept that. You know, in light of the way you used to act and the way you used to, you know, that seems about right. You used to. You can stay in bondage if you seek to please men. You will stay in bondage if you seek the traditions of men. That's what these Judaizers keep doing. They keep going into these churches and trying to get people under their thumb. And Paul keeps saying, listen, Christ has made you free. Don't go back into that. Don't go back into that. Don't go back into that. And freedom sometimes is a tough thing for people to accept and to live in. When you are a slave beyond your control, when you are dominated by something or someone else, then service is definitely difficult. And maybe that's where you hear a lot of Christians say, this is such a hard life. And yet Jesus says, if you come to me, I will take your burden and you can take mine. And my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you hear Jesus say, John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You'll hear Jesus say, Paul writing Romans 6, 7, for one who has died to sin has been set free from sin. Yet because the false brothers secretly brought in Galatians 2, 4, they slipped in to spy out our freedom, liberty, that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into slavery. Galatians 5, 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You hear him talk about it in chapter 8 and chapter 10. Number three, fight to win the crown. Fight to win the crown. Paul says he ran. You can hear the energy in that, the effort in that, the trying in that. He ran. You couple that with Philippians chapter 3 and the stretching forth to win the prize. Brethren, I have not yet attained, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth, stretching forth, trying to win. I'm running and I'm trying to win. You can hear the energy and the effort and the trying in that. He trained just like they did. Paul says the exercise of these spiritual muscles is the equivalent of an Olympian or someone in these games practicing to strengthen their physical muscles. They are training, Paul says, I'm training. They're running, Paul says, I'm running. Exercise these, these muscles spiritually. How do you do that? Friends, a lot of times— the practice and the exercise comes under duress. When do you and how do you strengthen a physical muscle? Everything I'm told is you have to break the muscle down, tear the muscle to build the muscle. You got to put it under some weight and under some strain and stress. And by so doing, you strengthen it. You break it down. You build it up. What happens spiritually? How do you then grow spiritual muscles? How do you exercise them? Same way. How do you exercise patience? Somebody's got to get on your nerves. <laughs> you you got to be under duress to exercise patience. How, how do you exercise a kind word, turning away? How do you do that? Somebody's probably got to say a mean one. 
Somebody's got to say something to you so you can exercise self-restraint. Well, I ain't going to say that back. I'm going to be gentle when I'm done wrong. I, I'm going to exercise. Here is part of the problem. Who wants to exercise? I mean that both ways. Who wants to exercise? Why? It's hard. It's difficult. It's struggling. It's challenging. It's stressful. And in order to do that, something probably has to go wrong for me to be able to practice love and forgiveness and patience and long-suffering and to be tender, oh, to be like Jesus, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, who when he was threatened, he suffered it. He didn't threaten back. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who served, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. Here is Jesus in John 13. Who is washing the feet at the supper? Well, it's not Peter, James, and John. It's Jesus girding himself with a towel and taking a basin and washing their feet. Who is practicing? Who is giving the example? Well, it's Jesus. How do you practice and exercise your muscles? That's what the Hebrew writer says, Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. When for the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need again that one teach you again, which be the first principles and oracles of God. He says, for strong meat, it pertains to those who have their senses exercised by use. What are they doing? They're, they're practicing and stretching their spiritual muscles. Probably the prayers you're praying is probably where you're going to get some of that help. Uh, if you would like some practice, if you will get a spouse, and if you'll get some children, you could probably get some practice. Or if you just get a job, or if you just live. <laughs> if you just live here, somebody will come along and give you an opportunity to practice your faith. Somebody. Paul says he boxed purposefully, not as one beating the air. He he ran, he boxed to win the crown. Here's what we know about Paul. He succeeded. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give to me. But not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. What did Paul do? He did fight. He did run. He did beat. He did win. And we can do the exact same thing. When gaining traction by improving, don't be sabotaged by baseless attacks. Instead, imitate Paul. State and live the truth. Know who you are. Know whose you are. Live free so you can serve. Make the gospel your mission. Not exercising rights is not the same as not having rights. And so run, fight, and practice. You know Paul uses the phrase in verse 25, self-control. He uses the phrase in verse 27, discipline my body. 
It sounds a lot like Romans chapter 6. The person who is free can then subdue the body and the passions. It takes a lot of maturity and spiritual growth to know you have rights and not always exercise them. When you're able to do that, though, you'll be just like Jesus. It takes a lot to allow the spirit to subdue the body. This same apostle said he would not be brought under the power of any. We need to imitate Paul. It might be the case that you're not a Christian this morning. If that is the case, then friends, we come to this portion of the sermon where we invite you to come and to follow the example of Paul by becoming a Christian. Paul did that too. His conversion is recorded in Acts chapter 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. And cumulatively put together, you hear Jesus saying to Saul, go into the city, and it'll be told you what you must do. You'll hear Ananias coming to Saul and saying, and now why are you tarrying? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The apostle Paul then began to preach Jesus. And we would urge you to do the exact same thing that he did. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. To change your heart and your mind, the Bible calls it repentance. He did. Confess the name of Jesus and be baptized for the remission of your sins. He buried Saul of Tarsus. He rose walking a new life for Jesus Christ. And he would become Paul the Apostle. And friends, if you've never done that, we invite you this morning to give Jesus your life and to make the gospel your mission. If you are his child, Paul says, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. One of the problems in Corinth is a lack of love, a lack of service. Because Paul knew he was free, he was free to serve. If you have lived in a way that's not pleasing to God, please come home, make things right, and let's run, and let's fight, and let's win the crown of life. We can help you in any way. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.